Just ask Anna Grace about her summer study abroad experience in 2017 to Salzburg. She gets emotional. She tears up. No student has been more affected by a summer study abroad than Anna Grace Weineken. Since her trip in 2017, she has been back to Europe multiple times, twice as a nanny, both in Germany and France. She's also brought her father on a whirlwind tour of Europe multiple times. Anna will tell you about her experience in Europe like nobody else. She's addicted. She wants to live there. That's all she thinks about. So let's get Anna Grace on the line and find out what's happening and what her upcoming plans are for going back to Europe after the pandemic. All right, do we have Anna Grace on? Yes, hello. How are you? Good, how are you? So you're down in Florida, huh? Yes, for okay. a while. For a while, okay. Well, um, let's, uh, I know things are uh, crazy with uh, travel and I know how much you've been affected, I've been affected, everybody I've been talking to has been affected. So we're going to just focus on some really positive memories. And that one is uh, what I'm talking about at Salzburg 2016 or 2017, was it? Yes, 17. Mm -hmm. 2017. Um, what was, you were affected by the Salzburg trip. Yes, I was, to say the least. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen it before, but maybe not at the the level that you were emotionally affected. You fell in love with the city. Um, you fell in love with Hallstatt and yep. the lake regions and the mountains and everything. Um, I, I guess Austria is what to you today? What, what, what do you think about when the word Austria comes up? Um, I definitely picture like the place where I fell in love with traveling on an international scale because I had just traveled within the United States before. Um, and I have a lot of good memories. And since the trip, I've gone back, um, three times. So I definitely, uh, Salzburg has a really special place in my heart and Austria in general. Yeah. How did, how, now, you were our one student from William Peach University that went on the trip with Wake Tech. How, again, did you did you hear about that trip? Um, one of the coordinators for a study abroad program at Peace, I guess, had just placed one of the flyers, or you had given it to her, and um, it caught my eye in the hall one day, and I decided to go speak with the woman in charge, and she sent me your way. And Okay. I was hooked immediately. Okay. And you've been back to Salzburg three times since? Mm -hmm. Wow. And you brought your dad. Yes, yes. And he loved it. Probably not as much as me, but <laughs> he definitely loved it. Yeah. Um, so Salzburg still number one for you or is it Portugal? Um, I'd have to say for like sentimental value, uh, Salzburg. For sure. Uh, my dad and I had a lot of fun in Portugal, but Salzburg just has like a special place in my heart. <laughs> right. So since that trip uh, in the summer, you uh, nannied 
Uh, tell us about tell us about how the nanny job came up and how how did you like it? So after returning from Salzburg, I kind of knew I had to get back to Europe as soon as I could. So um, about three months after I got back from Salzburg, I applied on an au pair website and I met a family right away where I lucked out because I still speak to them every day now, two years later. Um, so I just kind of trusted my gut and I FaceTimed with them and I knew I wanted to be in Germany or Austria. And so this family was in Germany and I spent the whole summer there and I absolutely loved it. And during that summer was when I got to go back to Salzburg two more times mm -hmm. um, because I was able to travel and do a lot there. Um, so no. I was definitely... When, different experience when you say you speak to your family every day it is every day yes <laughs> i mean you yes. you ain't you ain't like exaggerating it's every day no. that's how close you got with uh the mom in particular correct yes um actually their wedding anniversary was next week or is next week and they're having a big party for just family and i was invited and i was supposed to be there you know if it not for COVID. Right. So. so prior to going on this, this summer study abroad, had you been out of the country? Um, only to, you know, like Aruba and like the islands, those kind of things, the Virgin Islands. So never abroad anywhere other than, you know, taking a flight with my parents a couple hours from Florida to, you know, Jamaica. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how many countries you've been to? Um, now, I think we counted it. It's about 25, including including those little island countries. So. so you've been to 25 countries, and I usually don't ask this question. How old are you? Um, I turned 23 yesterday. Okay. So <laughs> you're way ahead of the curve. I just did an interview with uh, Dr. Shirley, who teaches over at Wesleyan, and She's a little bit older. She's been to 80 countries. Um, wow. But by the time you're her age, I can't anticipate you being well over 100. I would hope so. This yeah. summer, I was supposed to knock off a lot more, but, you know. Yeah. It'll happen. I know. So what, what specifically has the traveling done for you as a person or as a focused career? So I definitely learned that first summer in Salzburg, um, the things I could live without or things that I took for granted, you know, like AC, uh, just <laughs> the ability to speak with anyone in my language. So I kind of, you know, grew in the sense that you can't always just have everything that you need all the time and mm -hmm. you just have to deal with it. And right. it's really not that bad. Right. Um, okay. So, I mean, I definitely tried to stop, you know, complaining, whether it be out loud or to myself, just in my head, like, not think about how hot I am, but just how lucky I am. Um, and I think I definitely became more confident. I guess I was always confident in terms of, um, you know, speaking for myself and that sort of thing, but just in kind of trusting instinct and knowing what to do when it comes to when we were taking trains around and I just felt very comfortable with myself um, 
And also, I learned that summer that I had to do something international with my future career. And so you are heading to, or supposed to start, your master's degree coming up when and where? Um, in September, hopefully, at um, Schema Business School in Paris. So, fingers crossed. Right. And it will, and so does that require that you do take another language? Um, the international business program is taught in English, but I've been studying some French, and I know once I get there that I'll be able to pick up a lot, but it doesn't require that. But since it is taught in English, and um, I'll be lucky enough to have all of them in English, but I definitely, you know, I spent a lot of time learning German before pairing so right i'll try to do the same with french now i have plenty of time so right you had you had told me portugal is a place to go to i haven't been there and we do have a trip coming up hopefully uh next march and you had said that it it was really rivals your experience of living in austria and how beautiful it is um mm -hmm. what what specifically do you think it is about portugal that would make it close to the beauty of Austria and Salzburg? So Portugal, I really just, the people, I think, I mean, of course, Austrians have like a reputation for being a little more stern and hard to get to know, but which is totally fine. I mean, they are so nice. But with Portuguese people, I found wherever we went, somebody was just willing to give us directions or suggest a restaurant yeah. and everybody was just so relaxed, you know, probably just that Southern European way of life. Yeah. Um, and I think just, I love how they center around coffee and food and being outside. Wow. Um, I guess maybe being from Florida, I resonate with that, but yeah, it just was really relaxing and it was a good place to be with my dad and not traveling so much, just kind of getting to know the local people and relaxing. Now, did you spread the uh, travel virus or bug to your dad? Um, I think so. Um, before I had, you know, convinced him to come visit me while I was repairing, he had never been to Europe. He had been to Mexico and, but you know, some... Latin American countries and some islands, but he had never been to Europe. So I definitely think so. And he's really disappointed right now because he had gotten a place to stay in Portugal for five weeks and <laughs> he was still considering going like two weeks ago. Oh my goodness. So he's been, he's, would this be his second or third time back to Portugal? It would be a second time back to Portugal and his third time back to Europe. Okay, because you guys did kind of a whirlwind tour. Mm -hmm. We did here. about 10 countries the first time he visited. And so last May, we took it easy and just did Portugal and Spain. Mm -hmm. Do you have another continent that you're looking at other than Europe that you kind of have a desire to see? Yes, I was hoping after I graduate with my master's to go to Asia. I really want to go to Vietnam and Korea and yeah. a couple, I mean, everywhere, Singapore. But yeah. that's definitely on my list. I love Europe for its, you know, history and it feels like home. But I really think 
you know, the way Asia has been explained to me by you and by others that, you know, I would just really enjoy it and the people too. Yeah. Um, Europe is always a good place to start. Oh yeah. Because it, you know, you can see and experience so many different places and cultures and they're so close. So, yeah. Um, last last thing for you, and I know you understand this probably more than most that I've seen. Uh, w- coming back after traveling, whether it's three weeks or when you were uh, au pair and coming back home. And Raleigh is a nice place. Raleigh, it's, Raleigh is a very comfortable, nice place. But there is some downside that we all feel when we come back can you explain how that felt for you being back in the united states after being in europe yeah so definitely i'd say the first time when i came back from studying abroad i was mostly tired but once i got back to my routine i just felt you know like i was just missing something and I had dreams of Salzburg, and I just reminisced on the three weeks so much. Um, but then when I came back from Germany from, you know, a much longer trip, I was, like, physically sad. Like, my body was just, I was just upset. Um, I started, I cried a couple times, you know, thinking of the family and I'm missing them and just missing the ability to just go on a train and, you know, be in another city for a couple hours. Um, so I definitely, you know, I tried not to bring that back with me because a lot of people don't understand and I didn't want people to think I hated Raleigh or anything. Right. But I think just once you see how much more there is out there, then you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of research out there that talks about the depression of coming home and how to how to deal with it. And it's in everybody that travels, but some like you, like me, like a few other people that I know very well, it is a problem. And it does affect uh, your outlook on the local environment, your local state and city and country and so more and more research is coming out on that, but it's well worth getting the travel bug and that sickness to be able to travel, in my opinion. So it is definitely. All right. Well, um, it was good talking to you. I wish you a lot of luck. Uh, you know, fingers across that uh, travel opens up as soon as possible. This is really uh, an unfortunate situation that's hit us all. Um, but you know, I think uh, once it's over. You're gonna, you and I will appreciate travel even more if that's even possible. Yeah, if it's possible, exactly. <laughs> All right, Anna, it was Thank great talking. It was great talking to you. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> wow, 25, 26 countries at 23 years old. That's absolutely incredible. So. You've uh, been listening to Anna Grace talk about her love of Europe and Austria and Portugal. And uh, we congratulate her on being a recent grad last year of William Peace University and going for her master's degree. 
where she'll be uh, living in France and getting that degree in international business. So a lot of luck to Anna. You've been listening to Let's Talk Wake Travel. My name's Jeff Myers, and we'll look forward to talking again. Okay, here with Tyler Clark, and recently got back from a trip out to Denver and Boulder and Cheyenne and Colorado Springs. And how did how did we decide on Boulder? I know my trip to Ecuador got put off because of COVID, and we were talking. And then next thing I know, I'm on kayak looking to go out west. It's where I had the cheapest, and the we got, cheapest tickets. And a 199 round trip was pretty cheap. That was really cheap, and we could uh, fly direct from Charlotte out to to Denver. That same flight from Raleigh had another 450, and we saw that flight because it went from Raleigh to Charlotte. We just got on, and we were lucky to upgrade first class for under 100 bucks too. Yeah, so the. The price was the was the determining factor yeah. on this particular trip. Well, I'm glad it turned out to be Denver because it was nicer than I, I thought. I had been there three times before, but it was like I'd never been there. Right. And the weather was, was perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Yeah. It so, only, only rained one day. And hailed. Well, yeah, a little ice. A little ice. <laughs> I had no idea. We saw out. snow up in Vail, and yeah. uh, it was just a great trip. So, our first day we got to uh, Colorado, we spent in Boulder, and uh, the downtown area, Pearl Street, is very uh, tourist-friendly. It's easy to get around. Had a great lunch, Mexican lunch. I had a massive, um, what, did I, what was it, a uh, pizza? A, or uh, open-faced quesadilla. God, it was literally the size of about two, by, two feet by two feet. But it was as thin as paper. It was still filling. Yeah, I had fish tacos. Those That's were good too. what you had. Yeah, I was trying to envision. Look good. I just uh, don't eat fish tacos. We had a great waitress too. Her name was um, from Sweden. Elsa. Uh, Elsa. There we go. So that was our first day. Kind of walked around. Walked a three mile hike uh, across Boulder so I could find a uh, Starbucks to add to my collection. I had to have a Colorado mug. And then um, what else did we do that day other than kind of walk around? I think just kind of relaxed and took in Boulder. Saw the flat rocks for the first time, or the flat irons. The flat irons, yeah. And um, by the way, what are those again? <laughs> those are the, the kind of the iconic symbol of, of Boulder. They're this uh, series of rock formations uh, right along the, the front range. Boulder sits right at the beginning of the Rocky Mountain Range. And when the Rocky Mountains were, were uplifted geologically, it tilted some of the flat-lying sandstones that are underneath Boulder up on their ends, and then they were eroded away into the shape of these triangular kind of like peaks. And the uh, old-timers there said they looked like, like irons, like the, the flat surface, the hot surface of an iron. They're these flat ramps that are kind of pointed at the top. And they've become kind of the, the iconic uh, symbol of, of Boulder. You see it on T-shirts and coffee mugs and things like that. So we went, there's a little park there, and we, we uh, went out to that park and just walked around some of the trails. You can go right up and climb all around those. We didn't, we didn't do that because we were running out of time that well, particular day. Well, uh, to be honest with you, it looked a little high for me to walk. Yeah. Well, you don't you need to hike up the side of them or anything. No, I mean, even walking to the base looked to, looked to, looked to be a little too Excuse much. So, um, 
yeah, the flat irons were really beautiful. Kind of the, the when you saw them coming in from either the airport or from Cheyenne, you knew that you were back in Boulder. So very iconic, and I never knew what they were. So thanks for the explanation. Sure. Um, next day we went to another. I won't say country. But I will say state, and that was Wyoming. And uh, we went to Cheyenne, which I had been uh, a couple years ago. But it felt like literally another country. And not just because of the culture and no one was wearing masks, but it just it had that real western small town cowboy. You're in the really deep west feel. And um, we spent a lot of time, had good good diner experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you went and saw a, um, I guess, a train depot, and why is that significant for Cheyenne? Yeah, uh, Cheyenne was basically founded by the Union Pacific Railroad that was trying to find a route for a, a northern route for the Transcontinental Railroad to, to go from the East Coast to the West Coast. And it became a major um, depot for Union Pacific Railway for working on their trains. Uh, for switching them out, doing maintenance. And uh, that was a big coal run between Ogden, Utah, and Cheyenne. That's where they were moving coal back and forth. Um, So they have restored the old uh, turn-of-the-century depot there and turned it into a museum. They have a model railway exhibit up on the second floor that's that's really nice. Um, And they have a lot of old train memorabilia on on display that you can go see. Um, And it's just a a really nice... uh, a way to preserve the history of that area there. Um, it's right in the middle of downtown, which isn't much of a downtown. That's the no. one thing that surprised me. Cheyenne's the state capital of Wyoming, and downtown there probably wasn't a building more than six stories tall anywhere. Yeah. No no high-rises, no office buildings. The, the, probably the tallest thing in Montana is the state capital. And not, not Montana, Wyoming, yeah, in, in Cheyenne. You can park for free, walk around easy. Um, you know, I wouldn't live there, but it was nice to visit for sure. You got all, you got me all excited too when you walked out and you said they got a big boy here, and I was thinking Frisch's in Cincinnati, the big boy hamburgers. But you were, t- <laughs> you were talking about the train, big boy, and being a train lover. What's the, what was why was that such a thing to see? Yeah, that was um, that was kind of the highlight of, of Shine for me. I am a, a train fan. I've always loved trains and model railways. Uh, Union Pacific, uh, right before the Second World War, needed a, um, a a strong locomotive, a steam locomotive. This is back during the steam locomotive days to get over the mountains, and so they um, got a company out in Pennsylvania to build a new locomotive, and it turned out to be the largest steam locomotive ever produced in the world. They ordered 25 of them, and they're called Big Boys. And uh, they're 312 feet long and weigh over a million pounds. And of the 25 that were built, there's only eight left in the world. The rest of them have either been destroyed, crashed, or, or stripped down and scrapped. So there's only eight of these. The largest steam locomotive ever built in the world is still in existence. And one of them is in a park in Cheyenne, and they have it on static display. And they somehow got this giant locomotive. They probably built a temporary railroad to get it there. And you can go and you can see this thing, and it is truly a sight to behold how monstrous this machine is that has um, wheels that are taller than, than, than a human being on it. Um, so they were like seven feet tall. Oh, yeah, they were at least six, seven feet in diameter, those, yeah. those, 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 those wheels on that locomotive. 
And uh, it's just neat to see that that kind of history is being preserved um, so people can understand that travel and transportation in this last century were a lot different than it is today. You know, we've gone from the area of steam locomotives to electric locomotives to diesel locomotives. And, you know, rail travel is not a big thing here in the United States as it is in other parts of the world. Um, but it's, it's nice to see that, that kind of stuff being preserved and not just thrown away and scrapped. Were all those big boys actually in the United States, or you said around the world, did they get sent to other countries? They're all in the United States. Okay. Yeah, those, those locomotives don't get, go far. They have to stay on the rails that they're, yeah. they're built on. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's only eight of them left, and they were all working for Union Pacific, and their main job was hauling coal through the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Wow. They were so big, they had to have special gears in them so they could make the sharp turns of the railway, and... Somewhat disconcerting for some people is the actual part of the boiler would, would cantilever out over the side of the curve, and it looks like the train's coming apart, but that's just the way that they were built. Wow. Yeah, that was definitely very impressive. When you described it, I, you, you nailed it to a T. They're big. They're real big. Yeah, they got their name when, when the first one came off the line. One of the people working there in the plant took a piece of chalk and wrote Big Boy on the side of the train, and... The name stuck, and that's really? what they've been called ever since, yeah. Wow. So I got my mug in Wyoming, and then we were on our way back to... We uh, did find a Starbucks in Wyoming. Yeah, it was, that was a big surprise, but they did have one. Yeah. Uh, nobody was wearing a mask in Wyoming. Everybody was wearing one in Colorado. And um, I asked the lady at the counter of the museum that you were touring um, if they ever had a mask mandate, and she looked up at me and gave me a look of disgust. I don't want to talk about it, she said. So I knew it was time to leave Wyoming, yeah. and uh, we headed back to Colorado. And the next day, we drove into the Rockies, and um, we ended up at the famous resort ski resort town of Vail, Colorado. And again, I had been there before, but I didn't remember, number one, how big it was, and number two, how exact it felt to be back in Europe. And you could just walk around Vail. They had free parking. They had unbelievable little restaurants around. It started to get busy as we were there. And what a place to either travel alone or go with a friend or take a family and spend the day in a resort town in the summer. Vail was amazing. And I told you that uh, when we look back and talk about this trip, you'd probably say as we sat out at that restaurant, this was my favorite part of the trip because it was just perfect sitting out eating. It was like being at a little cafe in Europe somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a, it was the off season. There wasn't a lot of tourists there because it's a ski town and it was the middle of, uh, well, it was May, late May. Yeah, it was, and, it's spring for them, but it's not ski season. Right, but it, it's not full summer season yet. So they were in kind of in that shoulder season transitioning between winter and summer. And all the architecture, of course, is made to look like an alpine ski town. So it, I, I lived in Germany for two years, and I felt right at home. I was like, wow, this looks like it's right out of, right out of, right out of Germany. And there was a little shop that had uh, gelato, and I got some... Wonderful gelato, and um, we had a great 
a great lunch and easy to walk around. Yeah, they had a river right through it. People were kayaking and pedestrian friendly. You found a great shop downtown, a rock shop. Oh yeah, I, the, the geologist in me was very happy. I, there was a mineral museum uh, shop there, which was very nice. I like that one piece, that blue. Uh, some guy bought it, but it was still there. To, I don't know what type of rock it was, but it's like fifteen thousand dollars. Oh yeah, big fluorite. Oh, uh, beautiful geode unfortunately he's going to keep it outside she said yeah that's just a dumb idea but (laughs) you know a fool and their money are soon soon parted so you and the owner kind of got along in terms of your uh geology talk and probably spent about 30 minutes in there and drove back to uh boulder and then beautiful scenery with the snow-capped mountains there was still lots of snow on the upper peaks yeah and you also noticed all the mine shafts going on between gold and silver yeah Yeah. there are all kinds of old mine workings in that area that's what made colorado famous to begin with is all the gold and silver mining that took place there and lead there was lead mining there too are those were those mines still in operation no No, they're all abandoned all that all that's shut down i wonder why they still are on the side of the road like that why haven't they like covered them up, moved them, closed them down. Just history? Yeah, just... I guess that's what tourists want to see. Yeah, it has probably has to do with the regulations, and I'm sure that some of them, you can't just go wander into them. Yeah. Um, But, um, yeah, definitely a lot of of the little small towns that did have mines there have turned them into tourist attractions, and you can stop and pan for gold and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it was a nice, um, quick and sc- very scenic day trip um, from uh, from our home base there in Boulder. So we went back to Boulder, and then our last day probably was my most exciting day because I wasn't prepared for Garden of the Gods. <laughs> no never, one is. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been to Sedona, but to see a piece of what you see in Sedona in front of the Rocky Mountains with snow, um, you know, I would put that in the top five categories of the Alps, of what we saw in Machu Picchu with the Andes. Uh, you can't beat that scenery. The red rock with the sun, with the snow in the mountains. Yeah, the Pikes Peak back in the in the background no was idea. snow covered, and and again, just like the Flatirons when the when the Rocky Mountains were created there. The, the brightly colored red and orange and, and kind of an off-white sedimentary sandstones were flipped up on their end, yeah. and they formed these fins that just erosion has uh, sculpted into these kind of rounded, um, big geological formations that stick up out of the ground, and it got the name Garden of the Gods over 100 years ago. And from the visitor center, well, yeah, you're right, with the snow-capped uh, Pikes Peak in the background there, it was picture-perfect. And a lot of tourists, a lot of traffic, but there's parking for everybody. And the best thing is, these parks are free. These parks, you don't pay to park. You don't and pay to get in at Garden of the Gods. Yeah. When the original owner donated it to the city of Colorado Springs, he he asked them that it should be free and open to the public forever. And the town has honored that. And he gave them the land and said, let people enjoy it for free. And... Still to this day, it's it's. I think one of those travel companies, Travelocity or something, has their users have voted it the number one best park in the United States to visit. Really, and um, I can see why. 
Everybody's yeah. hiking, walking the trails. We must have seen five or six rock climbers, mm-hmm. uh, some with ropes, some without ropes. There was I some mean, horseback riding going horseback on. Riding. And um, if we would have stuck around another couple hours, we probably would have been hit by lightning. Oh, the big storm came in. Yeah, that was a smart move on our part. Yeah, so we spent probably two hours there and got some really great pictures and videos of Garden of the Gods. I put one of the videos of one of the rock climbers on my YouTube channel. And, you know, I don't get a lot of hits on YouTube, but this one I have 950 views already. So people are definitely interested in rock climbing, or I don't know how everybody's looking at that one. Maybe that'll go viral. Who knows? But I pan from a distance, and you just see this tiny little speck, and then I pan in, and you see him, like, in the middle of this rock. I don't know how they do that. I would never do that. So anyways, um, our last day as well, we met some friends that uh, Tyler knew from Raleigh and um, what was her name again? Amelia. Amelia. She uh, told us that Colorado Springs is famous for hailstorms. And uh, sure enough, a half hour after she said that, it got real dark and it started raining and hailing. Of course, we had a rental car, so I looked out. They were just pea-sized hail balls. But um, north of us, up towards Boulder and Fort Collins, they were getting golf ball-sized hail and how we know that, other than the news, was when I returned the rental car the next day, the guy asked us how the trip was, and he says, so you weren't up in Fort Collins and Boulder? And I said, well, not yesterday. We were in Colorado Springs. He goes, well, those cars were. And you could see, and he talked about the damage, the windows and everything. Ping pong ball-sized hailstones. Ping, yeah, ping pong. You know, it looked like yeah. somebody took a hammer and just yeah. smashed the car. And I didn't realize that uh, Colorado gets hailstorms as frequently as that. So I don't know what new car dealerships do with all their cars. Yeah. Keep them underground. Keep them uh, indoors. I guess. So uh, I can tell you, you know, it was a trip of being there four days. Um, but we did a lot. We did a lot in four days. And we had perfect weather. If you find deals. Now, Colorado isn't the cheapest place I've gone. But if you spend the time on kayak, or eh, I always use kayak, but Expedia Orbits. And when I talk about time looking for flights and hotels, you will find deals that will shock you. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of money. So if you put in the time on searching on kayak, you can find hotels for under 100 a night, rental cars for 50 bucks a day. And if you don't spend the time looking you'll pay double to triple that amount. Mm -hmm. So this is a place I recommend going for people, number one, who feel they don't want to leave the country, or number two, um, just don't have a passport. Number three, just don't want to, you know, spend the money to go abroad, even though there's some countries that you could go a lot cheaper than Denver. So I recommend going to Denver. I would live in Denver in Boulder. Um, personally, I still like the triangle more, but this is a place I could see myself living in the United States. It's clean. Uh, the people are calm. What was really interesting to me was the drivers. Nobody was in a hurry. Everybody. The most aggressive driver by far was me. Yes. And I, <laughs> and I was being very careful. Everybody had turn signals. 
Um, you know, I did cut in front of somebody last minute going five miles per hour at a stoplight, and he laid on his horn for a long time. So that tells me people don't do that. So anyway, people are calm. It's easy to get around. The roads are in great shape. Um, beautiful scenery. If you're looking to travel, this is a place you need to go. So anything else you can talk about with the trip? Overall, scale of 1 to 10? Would go back. Five stars would yeah. go back. Yeah, I give it a, I give it a 9.7. So uh, think about going to Denver, Boulder, Wyoming, even a great place. I appreciate talking to you. It was a fun trip. Sure, yeah. I look forward to the next adventure. All right, man. Take care. All right.